Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. So there's a bunch of different ways to get certified. So there is the CTI exam, which is a certified tile installer exam that says that he or she has to have at least two years of experience as the lead installer setting ceramic tile on a full-time basis. That means they've had full responsibility as the lead installer, making sure that they had substrate prep, layout, coordinating with other trades, properly installing under limit, you know, tile grout, sealant materials. So this CTI exam is the first part of having this certification. Now here's the cool thing. You can go over to ceramictilefoundation.org and find your CTI locator. So you can go over there, put in your zip code and the distance, your city state, and you can find out who's the residential commercial five-star contract. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to find out more about Around the House, head over to aroundthehouseonline.com or social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look for Around the House Show. And make sure you're joining Around the House Nation. That is our closed group that uh, people can share up stories, pictures, projects, whatever. And if they have questions, we'd love to help you. And you can always contact me at aroundthehouseonline.com and I'll be there to help you with questions. Well, today, I wanted to help you Hire the right tile contractor. If you're out searching a project, maybe you've got a remodel coming on. Maybe you're going to do a shower and it's way too much for you. Today, we're going to talk about how to find the right tile person. And if we have time, maybe we'll talk a little bit about some healthy air inside your home since it's allergy season out there for many of us across the country. Now, there's different organizations out there that have certifications. And this is probably one of the biggest keys. Now, a certification isn't the be-all, end-all, but I'll be honest, this is the only way you're really going to be able to tell if they actually know what they're doing and if they can put in a quality job by doing this. So there's a bunch of different ways to get certified. So there is the CTI exam, which is a certified tile installer exam that says that he or she has to have at least two years of experience as the lead installer setting ceramic tile on a full-time basis. That means they've had full responsibility as the lead installer, making sure that they had substrate prep, layout, coordinating with other trades, properly installing under limit, you know, tile grout, sealant materials. So this CTI exam is the first part of having this certification. Now, here's the cool thing. You can go over to ceramictilefoundation.org and find your CTI locator. So you can go over there, put in your zip code or your city, state, and the distance, and you can find out who's the residential commercial five-star 
contractor over there. And this, to me, would be one of my first places to go look to find somebody good to do your tile job. So that's the first thing. Now, there is... And, uh, you know, there is some things here, too, that I want to talk about that's important. There are advanced tile installation certificates as well. So what happened is, uh, you know, there's a bunch of groups that came together uh, to really give greater confidence to the public out there that these tile installers are going to follow procedures, you know, that exceed the ANSI standards and the TCNA guidelines for floor walls, you know, and all of that. So there's basically six organizations got together to create the advanced certifications for tile installers act program. Now I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but as a consumer, this is something that I want you to see. If they are ACT certified, that means that they have passed a test for one of these specific areas. So ACT is not a training program, but it evaluates the skills and knowledge of tile installers and then has certifications in seven specific areas of tile installation. So an installer can be ACT certified in one or more of these areas. Grouts, large format tile and substrate prep, membranes, Mortar, mud floors, mortar, mud walls, B415 shower receptor, B421 shower receptor, B421C shower receptor, engaged porcelain tile, engaged porcelain tile panels and slabs. So here's the thing. To become ACT certified, you've got to be pre-qualified, which means you have to be a CTI, certified tile installer, or be a journeyman tile setter who has successfully completed the apprenticeship program conducted by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. But there is one thing I want you to know. Somebody can say, hey, I am ACT certified, but they might only be certified in grout. Or they could be certified in gauge porcelain tile and gauge porcelain tile panels and slabs and you're having them do your shower that isn't gauge porcelain tile. So as a consumer, make sure you ask them, hey, okay, you're ACT certified. Which of the seven areas are you certified? Does it matter? Maybe, maybe not. Because you know at least they're a CTI installer. So this is kind of the first part of this. Your CTI installer is your first level, which is great. And these are tests are solid. I mean, this is this is not an easy test to make. And I know plenty of qualified people out there that have struggled their first time passing these tests. So it's something to really consider. But do your homework. The first thing I want to see is that they've got some kind of qualification. Now, I will be the first to tell you there are some wonderful craftspeople out there that probably know what they're doing that are not CTI. But if you're out blindly looking for someone to hire and you want a really beautiful quality job, then I would go down this road. And you can just go over to ceramictilefoundation.org and do some searches over there. And that's going to help you find that right installer. 
And I think that's a great resource. I would much rather have you go over there and find somebody than Craigslist, Angie's List, Nextdoor, you know, Facebook Marketplace. There are a lot more to this, but this would be the first part that I would want to see because there's a lot more to this subject that we're going to talk about today. But just making sure that you've got somebody that's certified, I think, is a good start because they're going to at least have proven to their peers with these tests that they're going to be able to do the the job correctly, properly. And when they walk off the job site in your shower or bathroom or kitchen or flooring or whatever it is is done, you're going to be able to have some confidence that this person at least had the knowledge to be able to do it correctly. Now, there's a lot more things we're going to be talking about coming up here that are really important as well. But there's a reason why this is my number one here is I want to make sure that you have the right people on the job. Now, communication is going to be the next thing I want to talk about here. If you're doing a shower, if you're doing, you know, a tub shower combo, any one of these wet areas, have you discussed what the waterproofing system is that's going behind it? Is this going to be, you know, a, a weedy system, a Schluter system, an Ardex system? What brand system is going behind that? Because tile and grout are not waterproof. It's the piece behind it. That's why you don't see people really installing tile over drywall anymore in wet areas like a shower. In the 70s, that was a big thing over greenboard. But you don't see that happen anymore. Are they communicating what's going on behind that shower? These are the questions you need to find out. As we head out to break, around the house, we'll be right back after these important messages. Don't go anywhere. Hey guys, it's Eric G from Around the House Show. We'd really appreciate your help with some awesome five-star reviews on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you tune into your podcast. Big thanks, everyone, and a shout-out to our dedicated listeners of Around the House. What's up? This is Dick and Satchel from Steel Panther, and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G. Yeah. We love Eric G, and you should too. show this is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education we've been talking about how to hire a tile contractor any of these specialty trades are important and a lot of these same rules apply from kind of here on out about questions and things that you should be knowing now in the first segment there we talked about are the act and cti certified and of course we're talking about if they're tiling in a wet area like a shower do you know what waterproofing is going behind it number three on the list here though is really an important one. There should be a complete plan and layout for the tile installation. And what you need to know is what's going on behind it. 
what tile, what grout, what trim, what drain. What are all the parts going into it? Many of the problems that I have seen out there are communication errors between the contractor and the homeowner. And if you're not asking those questions of how the edge of the tile is going to be finished out and things like that, this is where jobs can go sideways. Now, it's not like sideways like what happened in Colorado to my friend Amber with the sledgehammer contractor where the guy came in there and did an installation that looked like a drunk eight-year-old did it. I don't think I don't think a, a, a tile installer that knew what they're doing could stand up straight and do a tile install that bad if they'd had too many cocktails. It was so poorly done. And, of course, we haven't gotten to the point of this, of where you're going to do that, but, you know, they weren't ACT or CTIs qualified, and they had not had any of these conversations. Really, if you go down this list here, um, these are all the things that you're trying to avoid, right? And that's where I can help save you some money and a lot of heartache as well. So making sure you have that plan and that you know what that is. Any of these things when there's communications are warning signs. And so be very careful. Now, the next one here is one of the biggest ones. And you need to know what's legal in your state or your city or area. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you are in the U.S. The rules are different for contractors. For instance, in my state here, it is a state-run organization. So it is the Oregon CCB, which is the Construction Contractors Board. Everybody has to be state licensed unless you're a handy a handyman under, I think, now $1,000 or something. But really, handymen should be licensed. And if you go on the East Coast, there's areas there where the township or county or the city, everybody's different. So make sure you understand what the licensing requirements are in your area and make sure that they're licensed, bonded, and insured. Even if you're in some part of the country where there's not a contractor's license that's required, they should still have insurance and a bond no matter what. And where that insurance and bond is important is if someone gets hurt on the job site, like your tile installer, Are is your homeowner's insurance covering it or is their health insurance covering it? Because if you have a worker that's working on your house and they don't have insurance and they're not bonded, mostly the insurance on this issue, if they get hurt, they are your employee and you're responsible for their well-beings, which means if they get hurt and they lose six months of work, you could be responsible for paying for that six months of lost wages. So making sure they're licensed, bonded, and insured is key. And making sure that you understand that is a big one. Now, the next one here is tied into this because really you need to know what the laws are in your area. They need to be able to follow the rules and permits many times when building a shower, many times when doing a tub, there are inspections that need to happen like a shower pan test where they fill the water up and let it sit there for for eight hours, six hours, 12 hours, whatever it is, and see if there's any leaks before tiling starts. So these are things that you need to make sure that they're following all those rules and the rules for your area because those tests, which are that permit, is designed 
to protect you to make sure that there is quality workmanship that is going to uh, not cause a leak down the road. So that's important. Now, many times in the states that are required, that license bonded insured, that license requires them to have a certain contract and to be written a certain way. And that is very important for you as a homeowner. You need to make sure that the payment terms are there. You need to make sure that there's progress payments that are appropriate for the process of the project. So you might be putting 30, 40, maybe 50% down if the contractor's buying a ton of materials for you right off the bat. That could happen. There are states that say you can only put 20% down or 15% down. So again, understanding your local laws are key and contact your local uh, contractors organization to help you with that. But making sure that everything is writing, the scope of the work, the contract, if they have to be lead paint certified because they're dealing with lead paint in that room, whatever, make sure all these certifications are done that they have to have to do the job legally in your area. Now, the one that I'm worried about is and a key here is references. This is a big part of one here. Checking those references to making sure can be a tough battle. I have seen bad contractors have fake references with bad phone numbers and people will call and call and call and no one will call back. Or you're calling their brothers, their cousins, their friends, their family, and they're giving you a smoke story. Just keep in mind when you're checking references, the key to this is, is when your project's done and you're going on, you might ask to be on the reference list. So be sure that you're ready to take all those phone calls when that contractor's out talking to people, that you can do that. Check the references, find out if you can find pictures, um, you know, anything that you can do to help verify these people who they say they are is key. And uh, I'd also do a little research as well. This is where I would jump on on the references side of thing. If your state or local government will let you search for lawsuits, take a look at it. Take a look and see if there are any lawsuits on the contractor's insurance. And then the other thing, too, is to make sure that with that insurance, going back one here, is uh, make sure that that contractor's insurance is in place the day you sign the contract. So if they came out and give you a quote and they come back four weeks later to sign the contract, call the insurance company. Make sure that is paid up the day you sign the contract. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but that will give you much more protection because if that insurance ran out a couple days before they started the project, depending on your state, you might not be insured, which means that could be a problem. And when I come back, I'm going to tell you a story about contractor's insurance, how it saved a homeowner and a contractor. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House Returns.
Hey, this is Ron Keel, the Metal Cowboy from Keel, the Ron Keel Band and Steeler. We are rocking around the house with Eric G. Raise Welcome back to Around the House Show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Well, right now we've been talking about this segment and the prior one, talking about how to hire a tile contractor. And then later on the show, we're going to talk about some healthy interior home tricks to make sure that your house is uh, as healthy as it can be and uh, making sure that your allergies are better. I know it's allergy season for many people out there. So I've got some great tips coming up for that. And uh, you'll be surprised at a few of them because they're so simple. We've been talking about how to hire that tile contractor to make sure that your project goes flawlessly. And uh, before we talked in the last segment, are they ACT or CTI certified or both? If they're uh, tiling a wet area like a shower, what waterproofing system have they communicated with you? And uh, making sure that you've got a complete layout of the tile installation. You know exactly what's going on there. Are they licensed, bonded, and insured? And everything should be in writing, including payment terms, which is key. Make sure you check references and be a good reference when someone calls you after the project's done. Avoid the low bid because I tell you what, avoiding the low bid is the one that is going to burn you every single time. That low bid is usually due to not understanding the process that needs to happen, low quality materials, or they're desperate, or quite frankly, they're so new, they have no idea to quote the project they're doing. That's my concern with the low bid. And I know as tempting as it might be, It's the one that can burn you really easily. Now, the next one here that I have, how hard is it to communicate with them? Do you call day after day after day and they don't call you back? If that's during the time that you're getting the quote, is it going to be the same thing when they're working on your project? Now, I will be the first to defend contractors. If they are working, especially a tile contractor, and they are laying tile, and they have a time-sensitive project going on, guess what? They need to be on that project and laying tile. They've got stuff that's going to set up. They have a time that they need to work. But if they don't call you back within 24 or 48 hours, that's a concern. And please, don't be calling them four or five times a day. They're trying to get their work done so they can earn a living. And they I don't want somebody calling your contractor in the middle of doing stuff and trying to hurry, let alone you don't want to be that person as well. So communication is key. And the next one here is a big one. What are the written terms in the warranty? Is it written out? Make sure that you have that stuff written out and explained and understood. And then here's the next one too. Is the schedule in the contract? I want to see what their estimated time frame is. Now, if you've got inspections and things like that and you're waiting for other trades, sure. But the last thing I want to see is somebody popping over there working for an hour or two a day. What should be a two-week project ends up being a month or a month and a half. Is it possible to do a shower, complete bathroom remodel in a week? Technically... Is it likely? No. Can it be done? Yes, I've seen it done with beautiful planning. A building department that works with you. The trades stepping over each other. 
but usually a bathroom remodel. By the time you get all the people in there and all the work being done and it's being gutted, that can be a month to six weeks, especially when you're waiting for 24 to 48 hours for just an inspection. You might call an inspection in on a Monday afternoon going, okay, I'm going to get them in the morning. Nope, they can't get there until Wednesday. Well, guess what? Now I can't tile the shower or maybe I can't do this or maybe I can't do that. And then you've got to let things set up. There's a lot of mastics out there. You want to let that dry 24 to 48 hours, depending on the bag or the box or the can before you grout. So make sure that you understand what's going on. If you've got countertops that are stone or quartz, those are going to have to be fabricated. So they'll take a template once the cabinet's in, and it could be two weeks before that shows up. Then the sink can go in. Then the faucet can go in. Then you can start to have a bathroom again. Then the tile backsplash goes on. So you see what I mean? These are things that you should be really on top of. Now let's jump into our next subject here, which I think is an important one here on easy ways to improve your indoor air quality. Now, one of the common things right now are people to say, oh, just open up your windows. It'll be fine. But there's a chance, depending on where you're located and what's in the air outside, that your exterior air could be worse than the inside air. If it is filled with pollen, dust, dirt, pollution, it might be even better inside. So understand what's going on inside your home and outside your home. You know, some of the tips that I see out there is to first see what you've got going on. Have an air test done. You know, like my uh, former co-host, Caroline Blazowski and her Examine Air product, test your air. What are you working with? Do you have an underlying mold issue? Do you have a massive particulate matter issue where you are not filtering out the air quality, you know, right? Do you have big problems with other chemicals that could be in the house? Making sure that you've got your radon under control. So first, test your air inside and outside your house so you understand what's going on. I think that's the good place to start. Now, once you know that, now you can start to kind of diagnose what you have going on and get that baseline. But the first thing I'm going to tell you here is, one, just keep it clean. A clean house, if you do this right, can be a healthier house. Just because you're cutting down on the dust, you know, pet dander, all that stuff. Making sure that you have a good quality HEPA vacuum. If you're vacuuming carpets and rugs, make sure you're doing it once or twice a week. That HEPA filter is super obvious here, but it works well to keep that from going around. Make sure that you change bags or filters or both. If you have a hard surface flooring like I do, making sure that uh, you keep that swept and cleaned is key. I actually have a HEPA uh, robotic vacuum that I send around my house, which sure helps. And then on top of that, regularly cleaning those bed drapes and any of those blankets around are key to keeping that indoor air quality solid and making sure that that clutter is under control. Now, here's a key here too, and this is going to be a big one, and I preach it a lot, but it's worth mentioning. Making sure that anytime you turn that 
range or cooktop on that you turn on the fan that vents outside of your home on and use it and let it go a few minutes afterwards. If you have a recirculating vent, so when you turn the, the, the range hood on, it blows air back in your face. There's a great DIY project for you. Make sure and get that vented outside because all you're doing is moving the toxins and all the chemicals that are coming off your cooking food and the oils and all those pollutants. You're just moving them around equally in your house and thus hurting indoor air quality. So really, your biggest polluter in your entire home is what you're cooking on that cooktop. So make sure that you're using that hood correctly and that it's working correctly and clean the filters on it and just make sure that it's venting outside. Now, when we come back here, I want to talk about, there's so many other pieces to this of little things you can do to keep it, you know, in the springtime, you see those little floaties around when the sunbeams are coming in. That's the stuff we're trying to get rid of. So you're not breathing it and making sure that you've got clean air inside your house. All right, everybody, if you want to know more about Around the House, head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. You can find us there. Check us out on social media. Just look for Around the House Show. We'll be right back after these important messages. Don't go away. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about, uh, well, in the first half of this hour, we ended up talking about how to hire the right tile contractor. And now we're talking about how to make sure that you've got great indoor air quality. Now, next on the list here is an important one. Make sure that you're on top of changing your air filters if you have an HVAC system that has them. Making sure that you've got a good filter or even upgrading to an electric static filter or ways to make sure that you're really keeping the dust out of the air. Make sure that you can go as high as a MERV filter is your system will handle. Just do not go out and buy the most expensive filter because you could cause problems. So understand what filter that needs to take. And more importantly, that uh, you don't put too thick a one in there so you reduce the airflow and hurt your system. Now, one of the other things you can do is invest in an air purifier. And I'll be honest, I am very concerned about some of the air purifiers out there. So do your research. I'm not endorsing a single one here. There's some of them that I'm like, "Ah, it's putting off a little ozone and some dangerous stuff that is a concern to me. So make sure that however you're filtering and purifying, that you're doing it in a safe manner. Now, one of the things that you should be paying attention to in your indoor air quality is humidity. And you should be paying attention to that in your living space, your basement, your crawl space, even your attic space. And here's the key. 
If you are getting over 60% humidity, you will be growing mold. So make sure that you've got a dehumidifier in damp areas like a basement, and that will cut down and eliminate that growth of mold. Now, in a bathroom, for instance, you want to make sure it's well ventilated. So you want to have that vent on a timer. When you go to step in that shower, you should create the habit of turning the fan on, starting the shower, and then making sure it runs 20 minutes after you leave the room. Make sure that you've got that moving enough air so it goes away and that you're good to go. So ventilating humidity is key or having a dehumidifier to go. And I'll be honest, I do not like, I say say this, but having the right dehumidifier, do not just go down to Target and buy the $100 one or whatever. Invest in one that is going to save you some money in the long run. Go find one like Santa Fe or one of the different brands out there of dehumidifiers that are a plug-in, built-in style model. Those little tiny portable ones are dangerous. Make sure yours isn't on a recall list because there are millions out there that are, that could cause a fire. And they use a lot more energy, so they cost you more money. So that's a key right there. So making sure that humidity is under control, that is a big one there. Now, one thing that I, I have to give credit to Caroline And this is going to be to watch what cleaners and things you have in your house and what are you storing in your garage if it is attached. Think about this. You walk down the grocery store aisle and you see the air fresheners. There are little air fresheners that have liquid in them that you plug in the wall. Basically, you are vaping your house with chemicals to make it smell fresh. That cannot be good for your lungs to breathing in that yellow, orange, green, blue stuff that's in the canister of the color that you bought. That is now vaporized in your air and you're going to breathe it. So that is not going to help your indoor air quality. It might smell beautiful, but it could just be like you're smelling somebody vaping in your house and nobody needs that in your lungs. So just something to be careful with. It's one of those things. And same with a lot of the spray air cleaners. Now, one that my friend Caroline gave me a hard time about, which is smart, in my garage that is attached to my house, keeping all of my garage chemicals inside there. Lacquer thinners, MEK, harder to get, brake clean. All of those chemicals are pretty crazy, including the stuff that's just in your normal flip-top wipe canister that we've gotten so used to cleaning with COVID with. Keeping all of those cleaners outside of the building envelope is key. And making sure that we're keeping all those things. So mine, I moved out to my shed. So it's not something that it's going to be adding to the house. And you know something? I installed the Overture uh, air sensor from Newtone in my house. And I've been monitoring my indoor air quality. It's been great. I can't complain. It is looking solid. And I think it's keeping those chemicals at bay, making sure that I'm putting the right stuff in my house and making sure that I'm not adding stuff in there to make it uh, even more polluted than what it is. And so a lot of these things, the chemicals that you're adding can be a big source of indoor air pollution. So house plants, 
can be another good one if you're caring for them. And I'll be honest, these essential oil diffusers can be bad. Sometimes these essential oils can be abundant chemicals that can be harmful to your lungs. So be careful with the essential oil stuff out there. That might not be good for you. And now one of the other basic ones, and I'm bad at this, keeping my shoes off when I walk in the house. When you walk in the door, pop your shoes off. You're tracking in pesticides, pollen, fungi, bacteria, animal feces. If you didn't watch where you step, you know where I'm going. That's another one. And then the other one is if you have pets like I do, making sure that you keep them brushed and groomed and cleaned up. Now, making sure that you're tackling mold is the last one here that I really want to talk about. And mold is an interesting one. If you get that little bit of mold and mildew, deal with it. Do not just grab the thing of bleach. Don't grab the canister of bleach to do any cleaning around the house, really. Unless you're doing some sanitization in the kitchen, bleach is not good to go kill mold with. There are much better products. If you want to kill mold, grab some hydrogen peroxide. That's not a bad way to go. But understand what you're trying to clean first before you do it. And then the last one here is if you have an outdoor central vac system, that is great where that goes in the garage. Central vac systems, if you're building a house, I know it's not as popular as they once were, but in luxury homes, that central vac system is actually blowing the air out and it's not going into the house. So that's a key right there. So that can be a good one. That can be a good one just to keep the dust and stuff down. Now, be careful with any of your cleaners out there. I love enzyme cleaners that are more natural. Those are good. And uh, especially with pet stains and things like that, just be really careful with what you're using around your house and understand what it is. Because any of those things can... uh, can add stuff. And then again, like I talked about earlier, just a good air purifier. And um, I just be careful with, you know, people say that we talked about it a second ago, but as I wrap up here, I just want to leave you with this last thought. There's a big trend on the essential odors, oils, and to be able to take care of odors. But just because it's natural doesn't mean it's good for you. There are a lot of things out there that are 100% natural that are very toxic. So don't just jump on that bandwagon because you could be allergic, you could be sensitive, and there could be other chemicals that are attached to it. So you might be better off just going, if you're going with soaps and cleaners and everything else, going with something a lot more fragrance-free. All right, everybody, that's the last of my little tips for keeping that indoor air quality clean. And when in doubt, run that fan on your HVAC system, and uh, it will help keep things clean. If you have any questions, or if you have comments, or if you want to add to this, head me up over at AroundTheHouseOnline.com. That's the best place to grab me. I've got to get off and do some TV here, guys. So I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. And as always... Thanks for tuning in to Around the House. I really appreciate it. We'll see you next week in the midweek special on the podcast. 
next weekend on the radio and the podcast. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks again for listening to Around the House. Anywhere beyond the mean Life is a love song, let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my hand, I know where to go All over the radio with you Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out Millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's Millboard.com.